and uh, one of you please read that chapter for us and we will hear that and then we will expand on that. Hebrews chapter 12, NIV version. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfection of for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? It says, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate, not true sons and daughters at all. Moreover, we have all, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good in order that we may share in His holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. Make level paths for your feet, so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them. 
because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If, you, if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, Once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words, once more, indicate the removing of what can be shaken that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful, and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. In this section here, on Hebrews 12, we have the fifth main warning section of five warning sections. Some would say there are four, some would say there are more than five, but you see five main warning sections in Hebrews. God is a God of encouragement. We see that all the way back in the origin of the human race, that God came, particularly we saw recently how kind he was to Cain. Even after this one murdered, he came not in a brutal way to him, but he came to make him face his sin. He made a way for him to master sin by word of his exhortation. But that man, who is also highlighted in the New Testament, chose to walk away from God instead of repenting. But the approach that God has is always based on love. And then when one refuses love, all that's left is wrath because of God's justice. So the five main warning sections in Hebrews, they speak of taking heed. That means paying close attention to what God says. We saw that in Hebrews chapter 2, in the first four verses, in the second major warning section, found in chapters 3 into 4. And there we saw that God warned believers. This was written to believers. A lot of commentaries, and maybe in preaching you might have heard, or you will hear, erroneously, people say these are Hebrews or Jews 
who were sitting on the fence, they really were not decided fully to be Christians. That's not the case. We gave evidence for that previously. And these are people who are sanctified by the blood of Jesus. It wasn't just a symbolic or nostalgic look at the temporal covering they had with the blood from the animal sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood. But they were actually brought into the family of God through the blood of the Son of God. They were partakers of the heavenly calling. We saw that in chapter 6. So this was written to believers, and so all of it applies to us. And we know that though we're not Jews, and though there's an elaborate explanation of uh, the priesthood and the sacrifices, the Lord Jesus fulfilled all that the law pointed to. And our focus, our salvation, is in the blood of Jesus. It all applies to us. So chapter 2, we have the main warning. The first one, to pay close attention or take heed. And then we're exhorted by God to not miss entering the rest of God. The Sabbath. The rest of God. Not to miss having the peace that comes from total surrender to God. And that was in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7, up to Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. The third major warning was against laziness and apostasy. Interesting the connection there, that if one begins to be slothful, lazy, not wholeheartedly into the things of God, but more of a spectator and trying to glean things here and there, not engaging in the warfare God calls us to. They can actually become a traitor to God, become defectors to the army of God or from the army of God, and they can enter into apostasy. So the fervent desire to walk with God must be present in our lives and if that's not there but mere emotion is there then we run the risk of becoming lukewarm then we can become cold apostate so there's a very very real warning in Hebrews chapter 5 verses 11 up until chapter 6 and verse 20 against slothfulness and apostasy possible Hebrews chapter 6 shows not a hypothetical example but a real possibility for real believers to fall away from the faith apostasy is defined as leaving or falling away from the truth and it could not apply to people who really didn't believe or who really didn't commit. It couldn't apply to people just sitting on the fence because then how could they leave something they never were part of? But they were a partaker 
of not just a church assembly or an organization or visitors to a church, but these were partakers of the heavenly calling. They actually shared in the Holy Spirit, not just visiting and sharing in some rituals or uh, being a spectator or a disinterested participant. They were in the truth, and therefore the danger of leaving the truth is presented here. Going into full-blown apostasy. The fourth major warning, we've seen all of this as we've studied the book of Hebrews, and as we come to the end in the final chapters here, we recap the very important need to not forget God has a message here with the exhortation and encouragement, with the exposition of the Jewish law and the priesthood and the superiority of the Son of God, knowing that he is so great and this is God's final message to the world through his Son. How careful we are to grab a hold of this, never let it go. The fourth warning in Hebrews 10, 26 to 31 is to be aware or beware of willfully sinning against God. Which brings us to the fifth warning in chapter 12 and the last several verses as you just heard read. Beware of disobeying Christ. If God has sent Christ as the final and ultimate conclusion to his whole dealing with mankind, as the only way out, we need to be careful not to disobey. That express image of the invisible God, the exact representation of the invisible God, the Lord Jesus Christ. Because at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow, will bow. Every tongue will confess. All of the people and cultures and the billions of people, everyone in China will one day bow the knee, not to some superstition, but to Jesus Christ, the Lord of all. They will confess. Yeshu de This power in the blood of Jesus. In effect, by saying, Jesus is Lord. Everyone in Russia one day will bow the knee, not to some atheistic, communistic ideal, worship leaders have hero worship for Stalin and Lenin and Marx and whoever they idolized and were ruled by they will bow to Jesus Christ they will bow the knee to the Lord Jesus Christ they will confess that Jesus is Lord everyone in the Indian subcontinent will bow the knee not to some Hindu gods 
or some other religion. They will bow the knee one day to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please just check your lines if you're unmuted to make sure you have your lines muted. Everyone in the Middle East, in Iraq, Saudi Arabia, everyone in Africa and Morocco, everyone in Australia, everyone on the planet that ever lived, billions of people, who bowed before the one that God cautioned here in Hebrews chapter 12. Not to disobey, they will bow to that Christ. They can bow before him and confess that he's Lord voluntarily now and be part of his family with a great eternal future or they'll be forced to bow down, having no option. As is certain in Revelation, the island fled from his presence. Everything was shattered and scattered and shaken. That's the kind of kingdom we're receiving. Can you imagine that if you were to buy a home? You may have had homes before, or had a home before, house that is, and perhaps you've never had a house in the traditional sense as opposed to an apartment or a temporary dwelling, but something that you can call your own and permanent and you begin to invest in that. Suppose you were buying a home that was indestructible and required no maintenance. Is everything that can you can possibly imagine. Something that can never be toppled. You can never lose it. There's no mortgage to pay. No one can come and take it from you. None of the elements can do anything to it. It's indestructible. No moth can come and do anything to it. No termites. No thief can break in there. We're coming to a house that's indestructible. Once you get in, no one can get you out of it. You'll be in a palace, in a mansion, in a father's house. If you ask people, what is your dream vacation? What is what does your dream house look like? Who would ever think, oh, I'm afraid that if I get that wish, I'll be locked in for life and I'm afraid that I can't get out. Well, who would want to get out of a place that they would dream about being in? And so that's the concept. We're coming to a kingdom that's unshakable. We're coming to the church of the firstborn, the assembly of the saints. We're coming to God who once came down on Mount Sinai. I saw a picture recently, perhaps you've seen, 
the um, discovery of a mountain, not in the Sinai Peninsula, but somewhere in Saudi Arabia, as um, the experts who study archaeology and biblical details regarding the Exodus and the wanderings of Israel. I found a mountain whose tops or the top of the mountain looks completely burnt. Very unique. What could have happened on top of such a high mountain in Arabia that has a black top clearly the result of extreme fire and dating back to many centuries B.C. There are those who research believe that this is the very Mount Sinai on which God descended with lightning and thick smoke and fire. It says God descended on it in tremendous fire. The mountain was ablaze. It was on the top of the mountain and that's where God called Moses to come up to meet him. Thunder and lightning and quaking. Trumpets blasting louder and louder. Can you imagine such a scene? In the book of Hebrews it says, he spoke to us there from that mountain on earth. Now he speaks to us from heaven itself. Son of God has come from heaven. God spoke from heaven. Five main warning sections in Hebrews. Take heed. Don't miss the rest. Beware of sloth and apostasy. Beware of willfully sinning against God. Beware of disobeying God's final answer, Christ. The encouragement is to keep going. Don't give up. And perhaps that's the main lesson that we can, as believers who love God, want to do the right thing and want to please our Father, can be encouraged by. Don't lose heart. And we are a body of believers who are able to pray for one another and exhort one another, which means to encourage and urge to continue. Don't give up. Like a good athlete who has a friend athlete or a brother athlete, Sometimes you see that in some of these top sports competitions. Siblings from the same family competing, perhaps in different uh, divisions, so to speak, are in the same particular competition, but although they're doing their best, their objective is not to undo or outdo the sibling who's also an athlete, but to encourage each one's each one to do his or her best. That's how we are as believers. No envy, no jealousy, but a genuine desire. That I want to do my best. I want my brother and sister to do their best so we can all be champions in the Christian race. All can win. Ultimately, the prize that God has for him or her specifically. The Bible speaks of 
all run, but one gets the prize. Run in such a way that you may obtain the prize, but that's not to exclude or obviate the truth that all can win the exact prize God has for him or her if they run in their track. Going back to Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. This is a nagging, annoying weight. Have you identified that in your life? Take a good look at how we trip up or don't seem to make, make progress in the way we would like. The way we know God would like to make progress, we can perhaps identify one or two or three or maybe more annoying, besetting sins or weights. Keeps tripping us up. Yesterday we focused on, as the Spirit of God brought to us, this uh, danger of having anger that it's unrighteous. And we can perhaps connect that to impatience. Impatience can cost a lot to us spiritually. Impatience impatience can actually disqualify us if it's not checked. Because impatience can lead to a hasty decision where we are blinded by the enemy and we try to justify ourselves in making a wrong decision. Instead of waiting on God, waiting for the counsel of God, Saul was impatient. He became hasty and irritated and angered. and He said, oh, whatever. I'm just going to do it. He took over the priest's job. He didn't wait for Samuel. There was a delay, but he got hasty. How many people today, multitude of believers that we have met, have no concept of waiting on God, waiting on a servant of God, waiting for God's message. We're so thankful in our church. All of us have seen examples of people transforming. People would get uptight five minutes if the servant of God is not there to give the word. Become irritated. Where are they? Where is she? Where is he? Start looking at the watch. They're supposed to be here. It's one o'clock. I've been here since 1230 begin to grumble and complain, not understanding that God is in control. Perhaps this is a test to see whether we can wait on God, whether we can be patient in doing the right thing, which is praying. Use the time constructively. There are people who are believers who begin to get angry in traffic because of a delay. They begin to fidget with the wheel, maybe bang on the wheel, maybe blow the horn, talk to themselves, talk to the other drivers, even though they can't hear, I begin to give them a piece of their mind. These are believers behind the wheel. What's wrong with the traffic light? What's wrong with the traffic agent? What's wrong with this motorist? What's wrong with my watch? What's wrong with the weather? And they can go from zero to 60 in their emotional gamut of expressions for the worse. Instead of thinking my father sees all of this. 
And it's not to say that we don't get angry at the devil when we know that he is trying to delay us or prevent us from getting us to the destination, getting to the destination. But we're speaking of uh, human venting that is of the flesh, as we spoke about anger yesterday. There's an intolerance for something that doesn't go my way the way I want it to, when I want it to. Become irritable. Begin to see everybody as troublemakers. Even inanimate objects, even nature. Get so angry and upset. It takes a while to cool down. It takes somebody to come and baby us before we really come to our senses. There are some people who can get so angry so quickly, impatient, that they actually change colors in their skin. These things are not to be. We need to check ourselves and say, why am I like this? You may be a man, woman. You may be a teenager. You may be in your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Maybe 80s, 90s, your 100s. I don't know. I didn't see who was on this morning. You need to, we need to make sure that we're not giving excuses for behavior that is unacceptable with the Lord who has given us his spirit. We used to say, you know, when I have to wait at this office, wait in traffic, I am prone to go back to the way I used to be. That's the temptation. But I'm going to stop myself and say, call myself by my name. They remember so-and-so. You are a Christ follower, remember? You're no longer following your own heart, your own desires, your own abilities, your own propensities, but you're following Christ. How would Christ behave in this situation? Would he become ill-tempered? Will he become impatient? Will he become frustrated? If he starts pounding on the seat or on the steering wheel in traffic, he starts to look at everybody with red eyes and a sneer and fuming from the ears, smoke bellowing out of the ears, bellowing out of the ears. No. We have a great cloud of witnesses. Their focus was to trust in God, to persevere. So we see that we can pit as opposites to perseverance or patience or endurance. Impatience and giving in to emotions and decisions of the will and actions that follow that are regrettable. How many people have vented their anger and regretted it deeply because it produced actions that hurt people, that despise people, the pride was connected to the anger and impatience and hasty decisions and wrong decisions. But we need to step back and say, Lord, if I heard about anger yesterday, I don't want any part of unrighteous anger. I can be angry at the devil, but I shouldn't be angry at my fellow man unjustly. Lord, I want to be faithful to you.
So the Lord um, speaks to us about this impatience. It's impatience that can be dangerous because we can disqualify ourselves from the race. We can see this readily with reference to anger. Someone can do something that's irreversible in the heat of the moment. How horrible. How horrible. How deadly it can be in the heat of the moment to do something irreversible because of uncontrolled passions, because of venting, because of anger. We can cut off relationships. We can be so proud and so controlled by anger that we don't care about anything so long as we get our way. And there are people who say, I'll cut you off, I'll cut you off, I don't care who you are, you don't do this to me. You see pride connected to that. Instead of the wisdom that comes from above, we see in the book of James, that is peaceable and willing to be entreated, meaning able to be talked to, rationalized, sit down instead of being hasty and getting up and walking out on someone because we refuse to talk, to be able to talk. And we are called by God to mature so that we can persevere. We're called uh, by God to know that we need to change the way we approach situations, that we want to manifest Christ's spirit. We want to manifest God's patience. We can talk about and list the fruit of the spirit, but God's not interested in people who can memorize that, categorize that, and regurgitate that verbally or on paper. But he's looking for the appearance, the production, and the existence of such a virtue, such a fruit in our lives. And this is the type of thing that you and I can cultivate. It's something that's produced by the Holy Spirit. But we're able to receive it, not reject it, not produced, as we read in Hebrews 6, thorns and thistles, but a fruit of righteousness. We're able to look at it and say, do I have this in my life? And why not if I don't? I have to cut down my pride. I can't live like this. How am I going to make it to heaven if I don't have patience? Which is one of the fruit of the Spirit. And how can I persevere? How can an athlete continue to train, continue to make the uh, practice exercises or the training regimen, unless that person is fixed on the goal that I'm headed somewhere? And even if the coach rubs me the wrong way or tries to, maybe the weather's not agreeable, I'm going to keep on keeping on. Those are the people who become champions. But the people get distracted with some details and some little thing the enemy would throw their way. I know a lot about this as the Lord has trained me and cautioned me and made me to face myself. Having been one who is quite quick-tempered and by God's grace been prevented from very regrettable 
actions. But then again, I would pause and ask myself, why are you like this? Where is the disconnect? If God has spoken this, you know it's true. You know that this is what you really desire. What happened? Why did you get angry? And as the years passed by, the more I stuck with God's word, I began to make little index cards. And I gathered all the verses I could. I typed it on my computer years ago. I made index cards. I wrote on them. I memorized them. I wrote again. And I said, Lord, I want this in my life. I I don't want to be a person controlled by ill temper or anger. Something that we can fight against by the power of the Holy Spirit. And at the same time, not live in a vacuum. There's no such thing. It's either or. The absence of fear is faith, and the absence of faith is fear. The absence of unbelief or doubt is faith, trust. The absence of faith and trust is unbelief and doubt and fear. The absence of anger, unjustified anger, is uh, kindness and patience and forbearance and forgiveness and vice versa. There's no vacuum. We're either in the flesh or in the spirit. We either walk after the spirit or we walk after the flesh. There's no such thing as a safe ground where I'm just me. Uh, I'm not bad. I'm not mad. I'm not glad either. I'm not very cheerful, but I'm just me. It's one or the other. We choose life or death, and these virtues speak of life and lead to life. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. But to be carnally minded, the Bible says in Romans 8, is death. Persevere, and because there's a goal. I'm headed for heaven. I can't allow anything or anyone to trip me up, to prevent me from going to my destination. I'm headed for my father's home. I'm headed for my heavenly father's house. Perfect bliss. I can't wait to get there, but I need to make sure. The sin that so easily tries to trip me up, I've got to check it. I've got to destroy it. I've got to chuck it. I've got to throw it off. Because it's not going to help me run. It's going to hinder me. I want to go forward. I've got to realize God calls me to not give up. Not give up. Even brought into a race in which God is determined to give you the crown. And we must be determined not to let anything hinder us from getting the crown. See to it that no man takes your crown. We can't let people get in the way of securing our inheritance in heaven. We can't let things get in the way. We need to identify what are the culprits that are set up by the devil to trip me up. And I keep falling for that same thing. 
there's a warning. You see, there are warnings here also, not just exhortations and encouragement to see whether we can make it. And uh, if we don't, well, that's okay. You just don't get a prize. But you'll make it to heaven. That's all. These warnings show that if I'm not serious and deliberate and concentrate on taking care of business before God, as far as my soul is concerned, I can become slothful. I can become very disinterested and slip into apostasy. There's a sense of fervent heed in the epistle of Hebrews. Being very, very keen on doing the things God has called us to do. There are some of you who pray continuously. It's changed your life. It's become a life-changing habit. Hallelujah. You just know, no matter what, I've got to pray. No matter what time it is, when I'm prompted by the Spirit, I have set times, but also I know when I'm prompted by the Spirit, prompted by the Holy Spirit, nothing matters at that moment except me communicating with my God, seeking His face. I've been prompted by the Lord to pray. It was a challenge sitting in a crowded subway car having the winter hat and hood and everything. And I didn't want to pray with my head covered. And uh challenge to take off the hood and the, the cap or the hat when everybody has it on, it's freezing. To trust God that nothing's going to happen to me. I'm honoring God. I'm going to pray now for, even if it's a few seconds or a minute. What do people think? What's this man doing taking off his hood and his hair's all messed up? And all of these considerations where the self hasn't died is a challenge. God trains us. He will prompt us to do certain things to see whether we really love ourselves more than we love him. Whether we really care about what people think and how we appear more than we care about how God feels, God desires. We're encouraged to honor God as God, sanctify the Lord God as the Lord God. He wants us, after all, to come and live with him in his house forever. As we spoke about the home that's indestructible, the person that we're going to live with, Almighty God is eternal from eternity to eternity. He is love supreme, unapproachable light, but since we will become like Him when we see Him, we'll be able to approach and see His face. That's what the Bible says. can hardly comprehend this. It's just dazzling brilliance, love, Joy unspeakable, holy dwelling, it's rejoicing. There's going to be so much activity and inheritance, and just will overwhelm a person if we begin to imagine. But unlike the imaginations of this world and the imagination of mankind to make up fiction, fictional stories, ideals, and try to 
embrace those things that are really non-existent. We go to the one who really is greater than all of humanity's idealistic imaginations. We're headed for that. We're headed for that place and to that person. Therefore, since we are surrounded by the people who passed the test, they finished well. As we highlighted David and even Samson, they had problems. Not because God wanted to throw problems, because nobody can live without problems. Not so. Not willful sin. That's never in God's economy or his program for any believer. He loves his children. He doesn't want us to be hurt. So he does everything he can to keep us from hurting ourselves and insulting him, incurring wrath upon ourselves. He warns us, but some people don't take the warning and they pay for it. But even among those who pay for it, God comes like he came to Cain. Listen, sin is trying to destroy you. You've got to rise up and destroy it. To the New Testament believer, we have everything, everything that we can possibly need. All the weapons of heaven are given to us. And we are guaranteed victory if we take it seriously and learn how to use God's weapons that he gives us against the enemy, against the flesh, against this world, the deceptions and the snares. And we will persevere and we will obtain the prize. We will join this huge crowd and our names will be added to these people's names who we read about in Hebrews 11 as those who are worthy of the Most High God. Let us lay aside every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. We looked at impatience. Impatience can cause us to act unwisely and try to jump ahead of God or do something alternative, as an alternative to what God wants. Because of the willingness to get uptight and anxious, each one of us needs to let God examine us, and we need to be like that weaned child. But sit still. Stop fidgeting about and complaining and looking at him and her. We've seen little children. They may be in a classroom. They may be in kindergarten, nursery. They're not content with their toys. They're looking at what he has and she has and complaining about what they don't have. Like Peter was cautioned by the Lord Jesus. Peter looked around. What about this guy? What is he, what is he going to do? Jesus said, in effect, mind your business. You do what God told you to do. You follow me. That's the problem. That's a trait that a person can carry from the earliest childhood into adulthood of being busy bodies, if not physically, in the minds, actively thinking about what other people are doing, what they're like and how they react to me and how I react to them. There's a world of an existence that is futile and that, it's, that is a hindrance to my spiritual growth. Instead of being humble and saying, God bless everyone, let them seek God, I'm going to mind my business and make sure I follow God. I don't want anything or anyone to hinder me from my seeking the Lord. I'm not going to despise anyone. I'm not going to think I'm better than them. I'm just going to mind my business. 
It's something that the Spirit of God will make us face if that's a problem we've had. Being impatient and can't stop until we make a judgment on someone or assess someone, worried about other people. Because in the process, when somebody focuses on others, there may be a motive to make ourselves compare with them to make ourselves look better. All kind of hideous things that flow in every nook and cranny of our imagination if we don't spot it and expel it from our lives. God wants us to be spiritually minded, not carnally minded. Hebrews chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down. Especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside, beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. We can have the devil use someone to just mess up our day. We can go in a casual transaction, what is supposed to be, very simple. Maybe at the shop, at the store, maybe on the phone, in some business transaction or something to do with our personal life. And all of a sudden it gets blown out of proportion and we can know there's someone being used actively as an agent of the, of the devil to cause us disturbance and slow us down. The Bible says, don't let that person stop you or rob you of your joy or your goal. We're called to bind those evil spirits behind the person, engage in spiritual warfare. But the temptation is to engage in carnal warfare begin to get ticked off and start to speak sarcastically or go eye for eye and tooth for tooth. There is a time in which to speak up and not let the devil bully us around when he uses someone to let them know reasonably this is not right. If they should get hostile, not to return hostility for that, but to endure knowing that your conscience is clear, you're doing the right thing. You're speaking up when you need to but it's done in a controlled manner where you won't have shame for it or regret. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not yet given your lives, you've not shed blood in your struggle against sin. We spoke about martyrs, witnesses. And today in the earth, there are people who are suffering so much because they're believers 
if we look at our situation and what we go through with the guy on the other end of the phone or the lady or a person who we're facing on the job or at the store or neighbors or family, the friction that's there. If we think about people in other countries who have had limbs cut off, I get emails from these Christian missionary organizations and persecution.org and this dear Christian woman is there. I believe her husband was killed and they cut off her arm. She's with a, a pretty dress. One arm is missing. She's smiling. She's thanking God that she's alive to proclaim his goodness. Well, how do we handle that? That hostility. Not Somebody didn't hang up on me on the phone. They didn't curse me out and storm away and just messed up my day. How could they do that and I'm going to complain about this one and get all torn up about it. The people who are brothers and sisters, they, they lose an arm on the spot in a vicious, violent way. Just because they're believers. No conversation was ever there. They were invaded. The village was invaded. And these terrorists, many times it's the Islamic extremist they can be any color black, white, yellow, you name it just come in they can be Hindu extremists they can be anyone there's a hostility from Satan go kill that Christian, what do they do, nothing I can't stand them such as the official charter of uh, some of the Arab nations at the founding of Israel they were sworn and they put it in the document, the official document for their country. That one of our goals is to annihilate Israel. They just got born, nation. What do they do? Nothing. We just hate them. That's from the devil, such as we see in Revelation. The dragon waiting for the woman to deliver the child. Speaking of the Christ child, to destroy the child. And he worked through King Herod. The hostility that some of our brothers and sisters go through, I should say a lot of them, in other countries, in other situations. It's very important for us to note the huge crowd of witnesses, what they endured. We just read in Hebrews 11, there were those who were sawn in half. They died so horribly. But they had such a faith, and they knew they're going to get a better resurrection. They refused to escape even when escape was available. How much of a shame would come upon many Christians if we would face the scriptures, face the truth, and really consider what we're fussing and crying about and tantruming about. There are people who don't even have food. They may, as I read even in India, in North India, years ago in the 30s and 40s, a man who became a Christian from the Sikh religion, those people wear the turbans, and he was thrown out of his house. He was well-to-do. He was smart. He had a lot of wealth. Became a believer and kicked out of the house. Became a wanderer, homeless. And he went through a situation where he could have had the finest of the food, because of Christ, 
he wouldn't deny the Lord, so he was kicked out. And he said, there are times in which I had to eat the rice, grains of rice in the dirt that somebody discarded. He went through these things. Paul the Apostle said, I know how to be content, abased, and abound in any situation. These are the things that will make us fit for glory. To be able to despise the shame of the persecution, hostility, and the thing that comes to tempt us. I can't, I can't afford to engage in this. There are people who are losing limbs and losing relationships and homes. They're being persecuted. They're being tortured. Right now as we speak. Right now as we speak. Not only in Hebrews chapter 11. A perspective and an experience, spiritual experience, can change everything. The Word of God has the ability. If you ever wondered, as I did, in my adolescence especially, how does it happen? How, how do you hear the Word? How do you join a meeting where God is truly present? Not a social club passing off as Christianity. But where God's word is preached and the spirit of God is present, how does it alter everything and break up the negative emotions and the plan that I had that I wasn't aware of that the devil was moving toward this, moving me toward this? That the peace of my mind that I was getting ready to give somebody later on that day, God just came and foiled the devil's plan. Thank God I'm free. I can breathe again spiritually. How does this happen? By means of the Word of God. It has the ability to change our perspective internally at the root level. Not simply a persuasion and a imagination. But it actually, as it says in Hebrews 4.12, is sharper, sharper than a double-edged sword because it's living and active, it's quick, powerful. Quick meaning living. Sharper than any double-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart of man. God's word just comes and makes a clean sweep cuts through the lies and sets us free. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free, Jesus said. We're hearing the truth this morning from Hebrews 12. And in context, in the backdrop of the entire counsel of God, from Genesis to Revelation, God has redeemed us. We must not lose that redemption. We must persevere. We must think in context. I was having severe pain from my ribs up to the shoulder, my whole right chest to the shoulder blade in the back. Sharp pain and like lightning bolts. And then burning on the skin and strange. Some nerves were affected somehow. I don't know exactly how suddenly. But as it was difficult, I was praying with one of our brothers in the church the other day. And I mentioned this because the call was going to be a little bit brief. 
I mentioned there are people who are going through a lot worse than I am. I thought about my own daughter. A lot, lot worse. And other believers who are being persecuted, who are in physically a debilitated state and medical conditions that are far, far worse. Think, what is this? It's annoying, it's painful, it's troubling, it's limiting me, perhaps. But the perspective changes everything. We begin to be thankful. As we conclude, God has been so merciful to each of us. He's been so gracious. Let's desire maturity. He was six and says, let's go forward, not go back to repenting from the same old things. Yesterday he mentioned the healing evangelist that spent 10 days fasting and praying to get rid of the anger that was controlling him. And he was set free. He was gloriously set free. His wife testified, this man was really a wonderful husband and father, very responsible. But he had such a temper that if the food was a little bit cold, not to his liking, he would blow up and he regretted, regret it, but he couldn't control it. Some open door was there and the demons came in and made him act in a way that he was ashamed of afterwards. Regretted. And it kept happening. And he took this to the Lord's presence and said, Lord, I can't go on like this. God brought him to that place where he was able to identify a deadly sin and a deadly disposition in his life that he knew he had to get rid of. And he sought the Lord, fasted and prayed for 10 days. At the conclusion of that, his wife, his own wife said, I could hardly recognize him. No matter if the food is cold or in any shape, he would happily joyfully, thankfully, gratefully eat it. Never heard a complaint from him again. How did that happen? There's a work of the Holy Spirit. Now, it's good and exciting to read these things and trace how God used that man mightily after that. What about you and what about me? What things are there that are besetting us? And perhaps we've never stopped to identify them. Never even thought about it. I thought much about it. And today God says there's certain things that are very dangerous that you are looking over and glossing over. You've got to get it out because you won't be able to run the race successfully. And anything that God brings attention to that we neglect and we neglect, we gloss over, think, well, I'm still here, I'm still doing things, I'm still in church and worshiping and Know this, if we don't take heed, as in the book of Hebrews, very clearly emphasized, it can lead to full-blown apostasy. Any sin, because every sin is deceptive and deadly. But if we take care of it, come to God, instead of getting worked up by it to the point of despair and discouragement and depression, and condemning ourselves. But going to God and saying, Lord, I know you can do all things, like Job said. Help me, Lord. 
I know this is your will for me to be patient and kind and wait upon you, Lord. Not become anxious and become annoyed and irritated and irritable and spread that irritation. Spread that bitterness. Become steamy-eyed and stone-faced and cold. Robotic. We can identify these things in little children, especially teachers and parents who pay attention to their children. We say, what's wrong with you? What happened? What's wrong? Why are you cross? Why are you so uptight and upset? How come you're not playing with other kids? What happened? Well, we can translate that to adults. You may be 50 years old, like I am, or 60, or 70, 30, in your 20s, wherever you are. What we spot so easily as unacceptable attitudes in little children trying to be the teachers and the authority figures. Perhaps we need God to teach us and train us to stop being childish. Be childlike, full of faith and wonder. Believe God, but not be childish and uh, combative and be tripped up by little things and cut off relationships, dangerous things. I know all about it. Because of the anger, because of the annoyance, and God so mercifully kept me, and he's kept you, perhaps. We have to say, Lord, this looks nothing like Jesus Christ. I'm supposed to be a follower of you. Help me, Lord. Forgive me, Lord. You're not to blame. I'm to blame. Somewhere along the line, I thought it was okay to let this fester. I thought I can sweep it under the rug, and lo and behold, mold and mildew. Everything gets eaten up. I want this out of my life. I don't ever want to be irritable, Lord. I don't ever want to speak against you or your servants. Speak against the will of God. I don't ever want to spend time not waiting to see, God, what do you have for me? And rush off and walk out into the night, into trouble. Well, God is so merciful. He has prevented us from many, many fatal mistakes. Hallelujah. That's why we're here today. But God says, don't stay that way. Don't play Russian relay with your soul. Don't say, oh, okay, nonchalant, and I guess those type of attitudes can cause someone to really make a, a mistake or mistakes that can cost them everything, including eternity. Let God help you to identify what things need to change that we have seen the potential of the same things to disqualify us. That's how deadly it can be, how dangerous, and say, I've got to change. God encourages us to persevere in what? True grit? Keep on going and do your best and believe in yourself. And No. He says, believe in me and what I told you. Receive my commandment to repent, to identify. Don't just listen to sermons and continue to catalog them in your mind and become a 
Like the people test wines, a connoisseur or something, a taste tester. Become a person who will eat the meal. Get it to stick to your bones and say, this has done something to me. Hallelujah. Instead of Abraham Lincoln, the 16th president of the United States, whenever he heard a sermon, he said, I know a good sermon when at the end of the sermon, the preacher asks me to do something. He said, that's my kind of sermon. I like that. Because it's practical, you see, that mindset that God always has something for us to do, to cooperate, to go forward. And we can say, Lord, I want to make use of it. I want to go forward. Shall we pray? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Lord, I pray that each of us look <clears throat> sincerely, Lord, into our lives, <clears throat> into our actions, our habits, Lord, our attitudes, and see what things are very childish and sinful <clears throat> that are disruptive to our own spiritual peace and to the spiritual peace of others. Lord, whether we're living selfishly, whether we are living to see this world and our own family members and people as tools for my own advancement and my own comfort. Instead of loving and saying, what would you like me to do for you? What, how can I make your life better? Even venturing into some kind of ministry and uh, social work while neglecting the very people in my home under the same roof. Lord, you show that this is hypocrisy. And Lord, we ought to look to the people who live with us and try to make their lives better to a genuine motivation, not of what they can do for us in return. A sinister, hypocritical, manipulative spirit may come along with a gentle exterior, a total sham, a farce, but genuinely seek the betterment and good welfare of my brother, my sister, Parents, children, first and foremost spiritually, how can I help them get closer to the living God? Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. That's really loving my neighbor as I love myself. So many people want to do ministry to people on the outside and neglect the very people in their home whom God says that's where ministry starts. And thank you, Lord, that you call us not just to a legalistic kind of approach to this. I'll do some chores today. I'll do this. I'll buy you this. But really from the heart, sacrifice. Because there's no gift that's acceptable to God that doesn't take real sacrifice. And I thank you, Lord, for showing us that impatience can just mess up everything you want to do in our lives. Disobedience and reckless disobedience and, Lord, refusal to comply with that which is wisdom will take us into the dark night to engage in foolish decisions that can cost us everything. Thank you, Lord, for teaching us how to mature and to stay mature and continue to mature, Lord, and to make sure that we get the prize, the goal for which Christ came and set us free from our own hell. Thank you, Jesus. Love and truth, mercy and truth, may that characterize our lives in this race 
to obtain our heavenly inheritance. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.